Salutation Shades, welcome back to your one-stop shop for all things strange and unusual, talking with shadows. The conversation everyone has, but no one wants to admit to. Here with your host, Vic Waitley. And Marcus D. And we are back here in the studio after our awesome trip to the Virginia Sasquatch Festival. It's been a, it was a great, great trip, but man, ah, our... We put off too much stuff and took, everything got stacked up as soon as we got back. Yeah, it did. We had a whole bunch of work waiting for us whenever we got back. You know, it was but it was a it was a great trip. It was a lot of fun. We got to do our very first in person event and we were super excited about it, which again, which almost didn't happen because like I think we've had like three public appearances canceled due to COVID scares since tw- since twenty twenty. So Yeah, I think it was canceled for COVID, canceled for COVID, and we had to cancel because I had COVID. Yeah, no, and a wedding. And a wedding. <laughs> oh, and we'll throw, a wedding. Yeah, we'll throw a wedding in there. Uh, on top of that, so we were super excited that we got to do that. Uh, if you guys haven't been able to check out that episode, we actually put up our uh, live talk on how to debate skeptics regarding Bigfoot actually on our channel. So go over there and check that out. And then we did a review of the Sasquatch Festival and all the awesome fun things that uh, the organizer, Mr. Daniel Benoit, uh, put together um, for it. Uh, some comments Wait, that actually. Before we get to comments, oh, comments. I, I am oh, excited. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Excited Bust out the alcohol. Do the drink first. Okay, you you want to you want to tell them a little bit about what we're drinking today? So we are drinking some sort of concoction. Baldur's Rising. Oh, Baldur's Rising. That's I appreciate your uh, your nod to Baldur's Gate there. Uh, it's not a nod to Baldur's Gate. Baldur's. I, uh, what? Okay, you say what you say. It's a nod to, and then I'll guess, and then I'll, and then I'll make, uh, and I'll tell you why you're wrong. This is my own personal homemade mead. We named this one Baldur Rising because it would not die no matter what we did, and the yeast wants to keep or keep refermenting. But it is really flipping good. I haven't had a chance to share any of my homemade mead yet with Marcus, mm. and I've been dying for the opportunity to. This is a. Is this safe to drink? Is this a, has this yes, been approved is, by the is, FDA? It's not approved by the FDA. Like it's approved like is by this, me. Well, it's probably better that it's not approved by the government because I don't think it would be safe. To, I don't think I'd still believe if they said it was safe to drink. But I mean, I've easily drank a gallon of this already, that, and I'm doing fine. That might explain a few things. <laughs> oh, that I what you put in your body? Cheers! Cheers! cheers. Ugh, stretch. Close okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, don't give me that face. No, I was. <laughs> it has a very. Um, uh, it has a very smooth taste. It has. Uh, it it tastes like a pretty it, it tastes like a pretty good beer or good, good mead yeah. yeah it's a good mead I like this one is there honey or is there lemon in this there or? is honey lots of honey because mead is fermented honey mm. there were like uh, five pounds of honey put in that vat but it was a big vat mm-hmm. I also how did you not know it was just not gonna just explode I didn't. I used to do home visits for the state, and I used to have to like take these trainings on how to recognize meth labs and whether or not things explode. Um, and you just walked me in. You walked me into your room where you're fermenting these, and it's just like these dark containers with weird little filter tops on them. And I'm like, that might be confused with a meth lab. 
It is definitely <laughs> not a meth lab. It is definitely not a meth lab. It's just like a vat of fermenting honey and water and like some flavorings and stuff. Mm, and lithium batteries. And, there's, no uh, li- there's no lithium. <laughs> and, oh, my God. Match, match Go to the comments. <laughs> I'm, I'm done with your your review of my mead. Uh, but it tastes very good. It tastes, it tastes, it is, it is the best homemade mead that I've ever tasted. <sighs> It is. It really is. It's good. Um, I will drink. I will drink more of this as we go on. I who do I have no qualms saying if I dislike the taste of something. <laughs> Don't give me that. All right. Um. So some comments from our some comments from our uh, trip out to the Virginia Sasquatch Festival. Uh, um. My dad's cousin Barbara Catalano. My my apologies. This uh, meads hit me a little bit. Barbara Catalano says. First off, why does Vic get the crappy mic? Great conversation. Enjoy the points to make. Wait, did I have a crappy mic? No, but you, no. So you got very focused on talking to the crowd, and then you sat back away from the mic. I oh. didn't. Ca- I didn't catch it, but it was. A, but when I went to edit it, I was trying to turn you up uh, during post production of it. But I, I still think people could hear you in the like in in the clip just fine. Oh yeah, that's a very me move to the, yeah. the, the moment like someone asks a question, I just become entirely focused on it. <laughs> but no, but it was okay. It was okay. Uh, Jose says, "Hear me out for oh for the t-shirts talking about merch because uh, we've talked about trying to do uh, merch for the channel." Jose says, "Hear me out for the t-shirts, hoodies. Imagine the bottom part right with a bunch of dark human-like figures, while Marcus and Vic shadows figures." hold a candle together while being surrounded by all of it, all the other shadows, and on top, on the middle, I'd, it'll say one candle society, some base colors. I can think of it as white and beige. If you guys want concept art, you can. Uh, I can put some together uh, so you guys have ideas for some. Uh, would love some merch. I would, that sounds pretty that cool. That is very cool. Also, like, okay, we, we have a slogan. We don't use it often. Uh, that kind of gives light to the original, like, why the channel is called One Candle Society. Uh-huh. And I know our slogan is keep believing because we'll keep listening. But there was also <laughs> another one that uh, we kind of put together when me and uh, Adam Mathers were originally founding the group. It was... Um, Don't trust the government. No. I, yes, yes, <laughs> of course. But Sorry. Um, it was as long as one, one candle burns alone in the dark, no one... Or, God, do I even? Re- as long as one candle, I don't remember it. Dude, I'm about to say, as long as one candle burns in the dark, it'll fight back the darkness. No, it's no. As long as one candle brings forth. Okay, ah, uh, uh, it's the, been years since I've had to say it out loud. I can't remember. This it. is what this is what happens when you drink how many meat it kills the brain cells, kids. Uh, I will remember it is... before the end of the. Okay, how about this? If I cannot remember the slogan before the free segment of this episode ends. I have to do something of your choice during the next That's recording. It can be gross fine. as long as it's not the, and that freaking m- spicy Mountain Dew stuff. Ugh, no, uh, you know what it's probably going to be is we're going to submit this uh, for police officers to use for the D.A.R.E. program. Wait, you know, <laughs> you know don't what? use this, kids, and this is what's going to happen you to your know brain. What? Patrons, That's if true. I cannot remember go. it by the end of this uh, this episode, during the free segment, you can right. post a challenge for me to do on the Discord, and I will do it. Sorry, I've had, I had two comedy shows were Friday and Saturday, and both times I had to roast hecklers in the audience. So I'm I'm in very like contentious mode <laughs> right now, just ready to 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 light people up. Very rude people. Up oh, as long like as one it. candle burns in the night, no one need be afraid of the dark. Did you? Boom. That sounds like you stole that from Hellboy. 
I haven't actually seen them. I hear they're good. I mean, I don't think you did, but it sounds like it could have been. I'm not saying it's not a cool or slogan. Adam Mathers came up with That's it. That's a cool slogan. I mean, we should use that more often. I'm, yeah, I'm cool. Uh, the Compass says, saw the Insta post, jealous of you two. Uh, we appreciate that. All four of our followers on Instagram, <laughs> we appreciate all four of you equally. Because <laughs> it's not that hard. <laughs> It was a great trip. It was super. It, w- it was a very fun trip. It was a really, it was a really good trip. Um, took a lot out of us, but we're back here in the studio, guys, and uh, we're here in the studio today to talk about bargeists because we had posted up uh, for October that we were going to do uh, phantom creatures, which I assume probably now for the rest of November we're probably going to do so that way that you guys get more than one episode. Yeah. So don't worry about that. Um, but for our first episode, we're going to talk about bargeists. Now, for those of you who are veterans of the channel, you've heard us talk about this subject matter quite a few times. It's actually a subject matter very near and dear to me. I find Bargeist very fascinating. For those of you who might not be familiar with Bargeist, they're generally a big black dog with glowing red eyes. They're generally capable of some fairly anomalous things, but they follow certain general traditions. They also cover come from a whole lot of different names. Um, I use the term Bargeist, but also like Black Shuck. Hadfoot. Yeah, Vargs. There, there's just a lot of different names for them, but they occur in a lot of different cultures, and mm-hmm. they're fairly prevalent here in the Midwest. Correct. I've actually been in quite a few Bargeist hunts, if you did not know that, Marcus. I actually did not know that about you. Just... Oh, yeah, several times I've went out to um, some of the surrounding communities that have sightings of them. Mm-hmm. I've been to a few places in Brazil. I've never seen one. Um, but I have, in some of these locations, heard the sounds of nearby dogs, mm-hmm. but could not find them. So what is the typical description that usually encompasses like a bar guys? Like what, 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 what do one of those typically look like? A large, abnormally feral-looking dog, usually aggressive with red glowing eyes and bright gleaming teeth, occasionally depicted with a chain around his neck and mm-hmm. occasionally uh, depicted with kind of flaming or heated claws. Ooh. And Vic was like, yeah, let's go look for one of those They're in the interesting. woods. Interesting. Let's, let's go, let's go look for large black dogs with flaming <laughs> claws and chains around its neck. And uh, also at times can be a sign of, uh, uh, of ill fortune or death. Actually, <laughs> that might be around the corner. Vargas sightings follow certain, specific patterns in that's one of the things i want to focus on today sure sure. um because we've talked about a lot of stuff about these guys in the past but i want to take this time to try to get closer to the true meaning of bar guys Mm -hmm. um one of the types of bar guys encounters that are fairly common are wilderness encounters these are just people encountering them in places that are farther away from like human settlement usually this occurs to people while while they're alone or in small groups the first one are stalking incidents where when one's traveling to a place, usually on foot, you encounter one of these creatures. It doesn't generally come out to attack you. Actually, those are very rare in Bargeist encounters. Mm-hmm. They're more likely to come up and menace. Um, these are encounters that involve them shadowing you, stalking you, making sure you're aware. they're aware of your presence, but not actually physically engaging. And sometimes these do involve like actual sightings of them, but not always. Um, there's almost always a intimidation factor to these encounters, which one of the things I like to point out with this, something else we've talked, out, talked a lot about on this channel are shadow people. 
and we'd like to talk about the red glowing eyes shadow people. What's always been our conclusion on what their goal is? Uh, they are feeding off negative emotions. Uh, they And they are feeding off negative emotions, and they are drawn to people similar to that. Or that have had trauma. Yeah, they too. seem to be menacing someone. Correct. And our conclusion has generally been that they're trying to stir that negative yes. emotion out of you, presumably to feed on. And these encounters are very similar to that. They don't want to hurt you, but they sure the heck seem to be motivated to scare you. But... Like anything with the Bargast, they're a riddle because the other wilderness encounters takes on a guardian form. It's also pretty common for Bargast to encounter people in the wilderness in trouble and do things in an attempt to help them. One way that they do this is finding lost people. It's not uncommon for people who have these sort of interactions to be hopelessly lost, usually in the wilderness, and then this large, black, unearthly dog just shows up and leads them back to civilization and then disappears before anyone has a chance to actually spot it. And sometimes in cases where other people should be able to see it, they just may not be able to see it. But either way, without the intervention of this creature, that person would have remained lost most likely. But there's also another side to it. There are encounters from England where someone's being stalked along the road, presumably by robbers and things like that, or someone comes out and basically starts to threaten someone, and a bar guy suddenly appears out of nowhere and drives off the harasser. Mm-hmm. Had you heard any of those? Mm-hmm. Now, yep. it's hard to reconcile these boldly different stances, but I think I'm going to do it by the end of the episode. Well, no, and I think that you see, and I, I mean, I've, I've read accounts of them in the woods, and I've read accounts of them in the city, and I think the ones in the in the cities tend to have more of those either the chains around their neck uh, part of the story or there are sounds of rattling chains nearby. Oh, like, that's uh, true. Like when, the, when they're being accosted, like in the city and stuff. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I haven't found a whole lot of urban stories of them. Mm-hmm. Well, before well, some, I can, well, oh, sorry. Before I continue, why don't you elaborate on one? Yeah, some of the ones involving urban stories, you start seeing other some other details of them being that like, if they attack you, they'll claw you, and then the wound doesn't necessarily heal over. Um, you see some of the stalking ones that they you seem to run into them at night. Or you tend to run, uh, you also s- tend to see uh, stories. And I think these are more, they they fall under the term of, like, black shuck more than, like, yeah. bark, at least with that particular term. Uh, you end up seeing them in cemeteries because apparently, then again, if you are at That's night in a, cemet- seg- yeah, segue, it's <laughs> in a cemetery, you're probably inviting whatever's about to happen to you. Yeah, another common encounter with Bargeist are mm-hmm. them guarding an area. And one of the most common ones are cemeteries. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't quite... Actually, I, I would I would attribute this to a specific type of Bargeist. Have you ever heard of a Grim or a Church Grim? I actually have. Exa- I have absolutely heard of a Grim. I watched this really, um, really, really cool documentary. Is it the Grim. of Billy and Mandy? No, it was uh, Harry Potter and uh, and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Oh, I, yeah, <laughs> great, great movie. <laughs> Which leans very heavily uh, upon uh, upon uh, the Grim and the Padfoot. <laughs> Are you familiar with Legends. the ritual to create a Grim? I did not know that there was a ritual to create a Grim. It's one of those pseudo occultic Christian rituals that kind of came about in presumably the late medieval area, but carried uh-huh. over through some of the Renaissance and things like that, um, where it was believed that the first thing buried in a cemetery, 
becomes that cemetery's guardian. So there was a ritual where people would basically take a dog most of the time, kill it and bury it in the graveyard. So that um, dog becomes the guardian of that graveyard. And those were called church grims Mm -hmm. because, you know, graveyards were usually located near churches. Mm -hmm. It was believed that if someone then would come to grave rob, the spirit of the dog would manifest and drive them away, which sounds pretty similar to a lot of the encounters we hear. Mm -hmm. Although grims were not Always, the ritual wasn't always done on dogs. There are a few obscure stories claiming it was done on people, <laughs> and occasionally like cats and things like that too. Right. But in in most cases, the iconic grim that you'd use to create this would be a dog. But if you look at like say a lot of Midwestern um, sort of bar guys encounters, one of the most common ones is cemeteries. It's also pretty prevalent in England. And one of the things I was thinking about when I was going over this part, think about the original. Do you remember the original encounter with the Beast of Bray Road? Oh, man, it's been a long time since we did that. Since we did that, that episode. That was in, that's in Wisconsin. It's in Wisconsin. I'm pretty positive it is. Don't hold me to that. But more but. about, like, the specific details of what was seen, the very first sighting of it. I mean, it was on all fours, wasn't it? Um. Its exact posture was not well noted because, if I remember right, the guy saw it from behind. But it was seen around a graveyard. It was seen with red glowing eyes and was clearly caned. Right. So I almost wonder if this is what was encountered because there's a lot of similarities between them. Mm-hmm. Um, another way that they take on a guardian role, and this is one of the stories that's a little more rare. But occasionally they'll protect properties from trespassers Mm -hmm. where like if someone's sneaking into a property and they have this one specific route they used to slip in where they'll appear at that entrance, at that gate, at that back door and just guard it and no longer allow the trespasser to pass through. That's really interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's one of the it's one of the types that you don't come across very often. I only found a few stories of encounters with it. I have a question. How come in all these encounters of like people breaking in a house, like trying to break into houses, sneaking on a property, going to churches late at night that no one's going? Like, why why are all these people going to cemeteries at night, breaking into people's houses, sneaking on, <laughs> sneaking on, sneaking out of cemeteries? Like, there was no, like it just seemed like it was just very casually said that all these people were doing. This. Well, one of the one of the stories of the person sneaking onto the property, and he wasn't there for nefarious means. He just cut through this other person's property. <laughs> pretty regularly in the evenings. I think he would he would slip down to the pub and he's trying not to get spotted by his wife. And he would go through this back way onto his neighbor's property that he didn't mm-hmm. really know well. And then um, after a while, this Grim just starts showing up and it would not let him pass through the, through the property anymore. Mm-hmm. And the guy, I think he threw like a thing of milk at him and run away. There, there's some real weird details to the story, but basically just stopped trying it and then passed down that story of that ah, encounter. Ah, yes. The most handy day tool of any trespasser. Milk, milk to ward off bar guys. <laughs> I don't know why I had milk. Maybe, maybe I got some part of the story confused. The the, the important part was the bar guys wasn't allowing him to, to trespass. And it was, <laughs> and the rank smell of warm milk scared it away. <laughs> now the area of bar guys that I'm most familiar with is haunted areas. Mm-hmm. Most of the play- times when I've gone to a place to try to find a bar guest, that's where I was. I was at a place that's supposedly haunted. And, you know, haunted areas come with a certain amount of other things that are seen there, most commonly shadow people. But most of these areas are places where bar guys reside, and I was going mainly to do that, to look for that. Um, 
they're also commonly, and this I would assume seems connected, um, associated with showing up in places of dark history, actually uh, battlegrounds, showing up right after uh, battles and then not leaving. Because, of course, you know, you have a big battle, you're going to attract wild dogs, and then eventually the corpses get buried and they just leave. But the mounds in the where the battles were, they tend to just stay there and kind of stock that area, sometimes for generations. There was one after the Civil War that was reported for like three different generations just guarding this mound where a lot of soldiers died. Well, I guess one of the questions that I want to ask then is how do you how do you really determine the difference between this being like some sort of a supernatural creature and it just being a large black dog? Because really nothing that you're really describing is that, I mean, minus the flaming clawed hands, I guess. Would be would be something that that would be par for a course for a pot for a dog to do or a wolf for that matter too or or a hybrid I guess the two. Well, there was a English um, English author who focused on uh, Barguys. She, she was a folklorist, and she worded it this way: that the primary thing that you can use as the distinction between the sighting of a large black dog mm-hmm. and the sighting of I think she used the word black shuck because right. that was the parlance she preferred. Right is the eyes, that they have these self-contained, self-luminous eyes that are glowing, that are unmistakable from uh, glints of light. Uh, She also went on to clarify that um, all the people that she had interviewed were um, calm-headed and sober of mind. I I think that's less of a good argument than the self-luminous eyes, but... (laughs) I, I think that's the primary distinction. Now, of course, a human in a state of fear can't imagine a lot of things and exaggerate a lot of things. Mm -hmm. But my personal response would be the consistency of the report. Um, Well, Vargas are one of the most consistently reported things historically in the paranormal. They're oddly consistent. Well, yeah, because dogs have been a consistent thing within human society for, you know, thousands of years. So, I I mean, so if you're going to have wild dogs, then you're probably going to have paranormal stories involving dogs that would go along with that just as much. I mean, even in England, England had issues with wolves all the way up into the, all the way up into the 19th century. And also had issues with just packs of just rabid dogs. That's true, man. We do love our canines and most human cultures have them, which makes them prevalent in most places. And most large dogs aren't going to are more easily discarded than, say, like a smaller dog breed. So it's easier for them to end up being wild. I sure. But most wild dogs aren't engaging this specific sort of behavior. But more importantly, correct. But I got So that is true. But I think that's the lesser point. I think the most important thing is we're. We're immersed around a lot of animals. Correct. There are like tons of animals that different cultures engage with, but there's a consistent accounting cross-culturally of these black dogs with red glowing eyes. Mm-hmm. That's what I think lends the greatest credence to this. Mm-hmm. I think, so one of the other details that often, that also creeps up, a, a t- depending upon what part of England that you're in, and also to North America. And also, Scandinavia. Well, I guess Scandinavia. Well, this particular story, this part oh, okay, of the story, okay. is their inability is their inability to cross running water. Did you, did you ever pick? In, did you ever see any of those stories? I've seen them before, but like one of the areas that I had the best bargeist uh, encounters, the ones where I was right. hearing dogs close to me, it was like right on a river. Right, right. <laughs> like I was literally on a bridge over the water, right. or near water at least, but. 
so but but all of the behavior that you said does not account to a, a, what a normal dog would do. You're going rabies. Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah, because rabbit rabbit creatures yeah. avoid water. Yeah, they either avoid water, but they also do all of the things that you've described to as well. Well, like eyes don't glow red. Well, to be fair, I mean people have been misconstruing gleams from lights in, in animals' eyes for a very long time too, but. I mean, I, I'll throw that out. I mean, I can't, I can't dispute what someone claims that they saw, but, I mean, one of the things that I think that happens a lot with creatures, sorry, with dogs that do get rabies, is one of the things that they will tend to do is they will tend to avoid places like cities or that are, that are very that are loud and bright. And all of these encounters that you're seeing are at night, and they're in places like cemeteries or places like in dark history where there's not going to be a whole lot of foot traffic, so there's not going to be a whole lot of noise. And then all of a sudden you got somebody sneaking around, walking around, probably whooping and hollering like most people tend to do whenever they try to, you know, whenever they go to cemeteries at night for a good scare. And then you get a dog that's irritated by it. Yeah, but I mean, black eyed shadow people follow or red eyed shadow people follow very similar rules. And oh, I don't think true. they're rabid humans. No, I don't think they are too. But we're not talking about shadow people. We're talking about people saying that they're encountering large black dogs. Yeah. Lar- large black dogs that often do get very aggressive and people ended up dying because of some uns- because of some unknown illness because you know that after they got scratched and the wound doesn't tend to heal over but also one of the symptoms of one of the symptoms of uh rabies that can happen to people oftentimes is often hallucinations as well and so they can often they can often they can often start maybe possibly saying some other bizarre accounts as well well, that would be a pretty rapid onset. A lot of these cases are reported almost immediately after. Oh, sure. It no, sure, 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 sure. But then why aren't we seeing other things that are indicative of rabies? Usually, wild animals that have rabies usually also have um, various skin diseases that mm-hmm. cause the hair to fall out. Sure. Um, that's pretty common. Sure. Um, sure. But we're not actually seeing any of that. Also, rabid dogs usually start to appear fairly emaciated uh, pretty quickly because of the dehydration. Yeah, but, but if they're large. But it just, you might not be able to tell that they're emaciated through the fur. Yeah, but they should be losing fur from various wilderness uh, diseases. That also, they probably get. true. But this is also at night, not necessarily in well illuminated areas. Not necessarily going to be able to be catching the best visual description of what somebody's seeing. And I guess that would be the answer for the frothing of the mouth, the mouth as well. Yeah, because they end up sal- because they end up salivating, you know, because they can't swallow. I mean, I guess perhaps. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't sit here and tell you that that's certainly not. Like I said, I've not actually seen a bar guys. That's right, not right, a paranormal right. creature I've personally encountered. I find them fascinating and have looked for them quite a few times, but truthfully, I've never actually seen one. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it fits perfectly, but I, in truthfully, as far as a counterpoint, I think it's a fine yeah, counterpoint. Yeah. And it's also like a worldwide, you talked about the bar guys being a worldwide phenomenon and rabies is a worldwide disease. And so it'd be a reason about why you would see it in multiple locations. And possibly end up possibly seeing similar types of accounts for it. I guess, but it seems that, like, in many of the cases, because as much as the hostile bar guys does exist, Mm -hmm. just as much does the helpful bar guys. Absolutely. Uh, However, not every single rabies encounter actually is necessarily hostile. There are actually a lot of accounts of animals that have rabies that actually become affectionate, often even protective of particular areas as well. But why would you... In your theory, why would you even need rabies? Wouldn't couldn't it just be a dog? With your theory at that, no, point? we're doing why that. But you, but, you, but you said it. But you saying being one of these guarding esque creatures is what I'm saying. Um, is that a common? I didn't come research for rabies. 
Yeah. I was actually, I did not know that part until I was looking on the CDC and it was talking, it was talking about symptoms and uh, for rabies. And they were talking about that at times it can, they can end up actually being affectionate as, at the same, which I didn't know. I think it's very interesting. I, I, my, I didn't get very far in that. I just thought that was an, that was an interesting point. Again, I can't explain flaming claws. Yeah. And when it comes down to it, I, the red, you know, my response is going to be, it's or, has a certain consistent behavior. Yeah. That isn't necessarily identical with the rabies one, yeah, the self-luminous red glowing eyes. I mean, sure, perhaps everyone consistently came up with the same, like, scary thing they added onto it. Or perhaps they were leaning on previous stories. Mm-hmm. I can't disprove that. I, I, can't, I can't prove a negative either. <laughs> but I, I'm, not, I'm not personally convinced, but I think that's a really interesting counterpoint. Or 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 why they end up showing up with Men in Black some some Actually, very obscure Men in Black. Let's go ahead as well. and go into that before I go to like my next set of points. Right. They tend to show up with two separate entities with an odd amount of consistency. The first mm-hmm. one being the Flannel Man, and I want to talk about the Flannel Man first. Yeah, that's because the, the Flannel Man. Almost acts like a Bargus. If you take away yeah. the human form, he acts like a Bargus. Well, He's finding people out in the wilderness and either scaring them back to society or helping them well, find their way out. Keep in mind how it translates. Bargeist, as it is, doesn't always didn't just the word Bargeist didn't always describe just a dog. No. Sometimes it just described a phantom. Yeah. So, you know, or that it would shapeshift as well. That's another thing, too, that, some, that, that they would describe for some of them, too, as well. And so there could be reasons about why it's acting well, similar to that. I think there are reasons. Well, I would agree. I'm, I would I'm agree with that. working my way yeah. towards it. Yeah. <laughs> the other one that it seems to show up with from time to time is the type of men in black that John Keel labeled as ghouls. Mm-hmm. The men in black that looked uh, not just a little weird, but straight up inhuman. Um usually associated with some sort of occultic abilities, but there are quite a few stories where men in black have used bar guys for both intimidation and just straight harassment. And it's also not uncommon for after a man in black encounter to occur, there to be certain poltergeist based phenomena in a house Mm -hmm. and even disembodied growling, which almost makes me wonder if they just had it take a, spiritual form and haunt the person afterwards as harassment. I, I, I don't know. I know that's a little out there, but it's a strange connection. Mm-hmm. Well, if you, if you look at like the bar geist, if you look at the bar geist as break, just breaking down the word as it being a ghost um, and being something like that, that might, ex- that might explain why it's accompanying all these other like ghost, like act, like ghost, like activity. Mm-hmm. So that could be just be one of the things that we might be seeing. I mean, it may be shape-shifting with something else. It may be drawing in some other type of entity. Who knows? Sorry. But it's odd that, like, we have two examples of other paranormal creatures commonly seen with them. And they fulfill so perfectly the dual nature of the Bargeist. Well, well, there's a third, too. Right, there, there are others, but yeah. these are the two that are mainly talked about. Well, there's a th- well, no, there's a third one you don't talk about a lot, too. Oh, good. Well, there's this ancient Sumerian god, Gozer the Gozerian. Oh, That's pretty... <laughs> Sorry, I, I had him, guys. I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but I, I think that, I don't know, you know I mean? If you, so if these entities are, ta- like the flannel man and the men in black are taking the images of, of, of men, if dog's supposed to be man's best friend, then it doesn't really shock me that we're seeing this sort of thing bleeding over into the paranormal we're seeing like you know humanoid and dog you know dog entity-esque thing as well 
Yeah, and, but it fits it so well. You have the flannel man who, although is intimidating, mm-hmm. is often just trying to get lost people back to where they need to be. Mm-hmm. And you have the men in black who are just straight there to more or less just intimidate, scare, and instill fear in people. Well, the flannel man also has been seen as has been seen in people's houses. Yeah, just people, kind of weirdly yeah. menacingly. And, yeah, and 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 has also been described as sort of an omen of, of death or bad things happening as well. See, so. that's a good segue. Let's go to my next point of omens. Sure. Okay. Bar guys have f- fulfilled this omen-like role and sometimes are almost word-for-word word similar to other creatures that cause omens. Uh, like, say, the bar guys wailing three times compared to, say, the banshee wailing three times. And I would also like to point out certain visual comparisons to other creatures that are omen-esque. <clears throat> Mothman, uh, red glowing eyes, dark form. But they'll often either show up just before a big a big tragedy, sometimes as a means of warning, dissuading, driving people off, or sometimes just milling around, just bar guy sightings occurring before a major tragedy. Although I think perhaps more interesting are when they show up afterwards. Like I mentioned before, it's not uncommon for bar guys to begin uh, taking up residence in areas of battlefields and things like that, but also mysteriously appearing in people's houses right after losing loved ones, most commonly to disease, where, like, say, you have just had a person pass, you're milling around your house, and then, boom, there's just one chilling like there's nothing wrong in the middle of your living room. Those encounters are also fairly common in bar guys. Mm-hmm. And to tell you the truth, fascinating, but hard to dis- or hard to explain. Well, I, I think some of that has to do with humanity's inability to to not understand the why when things happen. I mean, anytime there's a, there's a, there's a tragedy, something bad happens, we, we have to look at the why. Oh, yeah. We, like, humanity's just mind, it just works that way. We can't handle mystery. We have, if we see, like, just the fog, we see lightnings, we have to fill in the edges for it. And if you have something that's bad that's happening to you and you're looking for that why, you know, you have some, any sort of incident that's sort of off kilt, like that's just off the normal path, like a large black dog with red glowing eyes and flaming, flaming claws just magically appearing to you, might, might, I want to be, yeah, they might, people might start connecting the dots to anything bad that's happened to them and they can't explain why. Well, it's usually like the evening after burial. Sure. It's not just they encounter a black sure, dog. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure. But there's also numerous accounts of people seeing black shucks or bar guys and then not having something, a tragedy necessarily happening as well. There's there's plenty of the, those stories as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I don't that think would be my... Right. I don't think they're only... Right, omens. right, right. Um, that's why I kind of broke down multiple right. different ways that they seem to manifest. Right. Truly, I think the omen's one of the weaker ones. Yeah. But when you look at these different types being guardians of areas being um, kind of associated with travelers being considered omens of death. There's, there is something that matches that pretty well. Mm-hmm. If I say psychopomp, do you know what I mean? Oh, uh, you've told me this. You've told me this before. That that's a, that's like a necromancer, isn't it? That, that frame um, sort kind, of kind of in a way um, where a necromancer is usually more associated with someone who can resurrect the dead. Um, a psychopomp is someone who is a wayfarer or traveler through the world of the dead. 
Um, psychopomps are associated with many different supernatural entities as well as divine beings. Mm. Um, but basically, they almost always have this connection with travelers and are often divinely related. Um, for example, Hecate, or Hecate, however you choose to pronounce it, is a Grecian psychopomp goddess, um, carries a torch, and has these dog servants. Odin, who is a psychopomp who descends uh, into the underworld for various adventures, mm. also has, once again, two specific black dogs. Um, Hades, guardian of the underworld, and guess what? Also another psychopomp. What's his, what's his um, like, animal guardian? Yep, three-headed dog. Yeah, three-headed black dog, Sybaris. If we look at Egypt, um, when I say god of death, who do you think of? Yeah, Anubis. And yeah, he's a large black dog. Tombs are often adorned with black jackals, mm-hmm. which jackals are maybe not exactly dogs, but very, very similar. <laughs> yeah. Do you know jackals and coyotes are the same thing, more or less? I didn't know that. But yeah, I didn't realize that. But, but it made ja- a lot of sense. Wow. Yeah. I, was, I was confusing hyenas with jackals for a second. Oh. <laughs> I was like, no, wait, I was no. about to say there were cats, and I'm like, well, No, no, those mind. are hyenas. <laughs> Sorry, never mind. I, I Anubis that. is jackals. <laughs> but... There is this trend mm-hmm. when it comes to the underworld and these psychopomps and these entities that have often been dis- or given these godlike characteristics of them having these black dogs along with them. Beyond that, the origin of the Bargeist is very hard to trace. It was actually believed to have been traced by several different folklorists, but all of them have been proved wrong over time. Uh, we kind of have to conclude that it seems to have sprung up in multiple different places. And whenever it sprung up, it was really, really, really long ago. Um, a lot of people associate it with the wild hunt uh, or Odin's uh, Odin and Thor's shared dog with a specific name, but then no, there's no actually mentioning in any of the Norse pantheon of this God. So most people attribute it actually to the wild hunt. One of the interesting things about the wild hunt is first, I love talking about it, and it goes back to, like, the Harlequin, too, who also descends from the Wild Hunt legends. The other thing about the Wild Hunt, it's more than just a group of huntsmen with dogs riding through the skies, scaring people, sometimes led by Odin, sometimes led by a demon, sometimes led by a whole bunch of different stuff. The interesting part is it is so old, most folklorists are pretty certain that it is not originally from the Norse pantheon. It seems to be a predecessor thing that came from whatever religion was highly abundant before the rise of Norse, uh, Nor- the Norse religion or the central Celtic religion. It's one of those few uh, bits of story that people say, this is clearly a hangover from a previous religion. It actually occurs in several religions within Europe, but they believe it stems from a singular older religion that we just simply don't know much about. Also, much like these creatures with their dual natures, sometimes rewarding, sometimes tormenting, is also highly indicative of the wild hunt. I feel like I feel like this is one of those situations where there's we have a puzzle that's almost done, and there's one missing piece, and it's just gone. It's been burned up in a fire or something. A, a, a crow came in and took it and flew away. It, it is just gone. <laughs> what, whatever the metaparticle is in the folkloric history of the bar guys seems to be just part of history that's missing. It's in a very early part of history in a part of the world where 
it was occurring before people were writing stuff down. Like it was like an oral tradition that was passing around and people just traveling all over and it just sort of um, continued to propagate in the areas as people started settling. Or areas yeah. where writing was highly rudimentary. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, like, yes, rune, runic writing is a thing, but it's not a very complex language in that you right. can only communicate a limited amount of things. In hell, Olgum, we can only translate bits and pieces of Olgum. Like, mm-hmm. we, we can't translate the whole of it. It's... We don't have the context for it anymore. We need a Rosetta Stone at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, those would have been the cultures that likely had the context that we're now lacking. Do you think that maybe the reason about why we're seeing this, because I'm going to throw something out there. So these things can, these things pop up around the time when people are either passing away or they, or they initially have passed away. Okay. Well, a lot of times when you look at, like, uh, ghost stories. It talks about like them being able to to interact, like like crossing that sort of barrier that it's difficult. Well, if we die and at some point we become ghosts, we have to cross that barrier. So at some point the barrier's got to come down. I'm curious as to wonder if, whether if not if when that goes down, if something can cross over during that amount of time. I'm wondering if that's one of the reasons about why these things are popping up around the times of people passing away after a tragedy like that is, you know, we cross over the threshold, the door's open, something comes across. I mean, it's not uncommon for there to be these entities that appear around the time of death. Right. Whether it be an angel of death, the Grim Reaper, mm-hmm. um, some other, which are all both yeah. types of psychopomps. Um, a banshee in some traditions right. may show up to take the soul. And many, many other things that are very similar. I mean, sometimes they're seen in areas. Sometimes they haunt the area afterwards. Right. My... I'm going to go ahead and go give you my conclusion. This is what I think it is. I think that they're a form of psychopomp. Possibly there's only one type of psychopomp, and it can take many different forms. I think there's a high likelihood that it is the exact same thing that um, the flannel man is. Could be the same thing that the mothman is, just in a different form. Almost certainly the same thing the banshee is, and maybe some of the weirder MIB, but I'm not totally sold on that one myself. But there is a connection somewhere there. Maybe they're just using them. Maybe they've they've somehow performed the church grim ritual or something to get a hold of them. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps they're just saying that they know how to control or something. I, I don't have a solid answer on it. Mm-hmm. But I believe that there is a association between all these things. And I think some of them are so similar, they have to just be a different manifestation of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Also, they go back so freaking far. It seems to be a belief that we've always carried with us. Mm-hmm. I don't know when I think about the when I think when I think about the bar guys I think that when you think about the paranormal and how entities many of many of the many of the creatures within within the realm of paranormal sort of take on this sort of humanoid look um with that I think that that may be either man projecting an image he can recognize or the entity projecting something that man can rec- like humanity can recognize and I oh, think, that's actually a really yeah. interesting idea of these things are just out of our right. concept and they project a familiar right. look. And dogs have been entwined with humanity for I mean for 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 thousands of years. I mean it's I mean it just entwined. It's you know it's an animal that we domesticated. And a lot of these animals that we have domesticated wholeheartedly, cats, dogs, cows, just somehow end end up within our within within faith and the paranormal i just i have a hard time like it starts it starts bleeding over into that as well uh, for whatever reason that is 
that you know that's everybody to come up with them on the roam and to throw and to throw and to throw them out. Um, I think that's one of the reasons about why you're why we we see this throughout all these different cultures. Um, Were you giving a nod to how sometimes a black shuck can be a cow? Yeah, yeah, it's so, or a it's bear. So weird, you know, you know, or or I've never heard of a bear one, but that totally makes or, sense. I mean, well, bar translates to I know, bear, but <laughs> I mean, um, but. And so I think that, but I also think at the same time, I do, I do think that there have been a lot of instances in which people are running into just wild dogs. And I think that might be what's flooding the, the stories of the paranormal with so many of these encounters that might make this more difficult to track. I think it's a stronger argument than Vic's letting on. That's okay. That's for y'all to decide. I, I, like I said, I thought it was a good argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for it. I think that that's for y'all, for y'all to decide. Um, but again, I, th- I think that the bargeist is more important culturally than I think people realize. And I think dogs and the paranormal and the mythos is something that is more, should be given more um, credence, should be looked at more um, because of, of how much is there. So uh, let us know what you guys think uh, about the bargeist. Did you guys know all that stuff about the, the cycle pump that Vic brought up? Do you guys think that the rabies argument's a good argument? Do you think it's a bad argument? Um, is there I other? I think definitely some are rabies. Sure, uh, de- definitely some of them are. Do you think that there's other? Do you think is there other examples of bargeist like creatures that we did not bring up in other cultures that we did not bring up? That definitely would be something that we'd be interested to know. Um, again, if you guys like this, don't forget to like, subscribe, hit that notification bell. Uh, if you're listening on YouTube, and if you can leave a review somewhere, leave a review. That's definitely one of the best ways to help the channel. But until next time, guys. Keep believing. Because we'll keep listening. All right, guys. We're going to slide into the Pillow Talk segment of this podcast. If you want to check out the rest of this awesome podcast, go over to our Patreon and sign up for as little as a dollar a month to get the rest of this awesome podcast as well as bonus episodes that we put up exclusively for our patrons. Uh, for $2 more of a month, you can devote in the poll for the theme of each month. And, man, that meat is making me hiccup. I was not prepared for that. It's a little dry. It was but good. It's, it, it's dry in a good way. It's no, 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 it was dry. good. No, no, it was really good. So, um, what's your final thoughts on it? What? I think the bar guys is really No, 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 the mead. Oh, the mead. <laughs> the bar guys. I don't <laughs> want to talk about, about the mead. mead. No, the mead was really good. Okay, okay. I, I, think the mead, I think the mead was really good. I think that it was it was pretty tasty. Um, it was lighter than what I thought. I was I thought it was going to be darker, but then again, I've never had mead before, so that was just <laughs> sort of my initial reaction. Um, but it was good. I think it was, it was definitely a plus. It was worth your house looking like a meth lab site for for the several. Don't worry, I'm brewing some new sets. Oh, good, good, good. I was, I was, I was worried. For, I was worried for a minute. Um, so for for this for this part of the pillow talk segment, I want to ask a, a question as to whether or not if you thought that dogmen and bargeists are the same thing. Oh, I'm really torn on because this. Because we could be making a whole bunch of cryptid hunters really mad about that if we're thinking okay. that these things you, are you, ghosts. You know what? I, I don't care. I want to have this well, conversation. Or even not that. Uh, within, the, within this round, I'll have a second question.